Hello and welcome to The Later Life Show. I'm David Hamilton and this podcast is here to share advice and experience on growing older, as well as hopefully entertain you with our mix of interesting guests. This month we get advice on keeping our money safe from fraudsters. Because bank security is now so good, the fraudsters do tend to be moving in on the weakest link in the chain, which is, tends to be the individual. We'll also be dropping in on celebrity chef Aldo Zilli to find out about life in his busy restaurant. Al Pacino was looking at my menu and uh, I could not believe that he was standing there outside my restaurant looking at the menu. And later on, we'll hear from one of Public Health England's leading advisors about how to stay active in later life. Well, I think the key principle is that every year you need to do more. But first up, after decades combining a career of counselling, journalism and broadcasting, Christine Weber has decided to focus almost entirely on writing fiction. With a number of non-fiction, self-help books to her name and a successful novel called Who'd Have Thought It, published in 2016, Christine's latest book is called It's Who We Are. Martin Lewis has been talking to her and asked her to tell us about the story. Well, again, I'm concentrating on midlife because that's what interests me now, uh, being on the the, um, the far end of it myself. It's about five friends or people who have some contact with each other but become friends, They're all from Norfolk, uh, who develop a sort of real friendship that sustains them over a period of unprecedented upheaval. So they're all going through something. There's um, a woman who's a former television director who who's finally called time on a, a very unfaithful marriage, but it's a, a scary time for her. There's another woman who was recently widowed. So that's something that has got to be processed and is difficult. There's a Catholic priest who's coming to the end of, of what he feels he can do and feels incredibly lonely and, and has got to face up to a different sort of future. There's a, a, a freelance singer who is really worried because he spent the money he ever made as he went and he's now worried that his vocal cords are going to uh, give up and he's got no money and he's worried about his old age. And there's a, a rather rich businessman in Norfolk whose family have always sold farm machinery who you'd think would be set up very well but who basically is having a very unhappy life he's, he's very unhappily married and he's worried about his business post the eu referendum and what's going to happen and so they're 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 existing in a time of already you know a political upheaval as we all know and um with trump with another worry and everything so that's all playing into it but they're all going through their own private sort of uh, reaching a crossroads and having to decide where they're going with it so this is really interesting christine because what you've just described are issues that affect one of at least one of which would affect a lot of our listeners you know mm. a lot of people in you know going through a midlife crisis or as, or as they move out of middle age and into into older age as mm. it were mm. but what you've done is you, you've not only identified those issues but you've obviously meshed them and blended them together against a cracker of a plot so tell us a bit about that <laughs> well i think i've heard from several sources and and, and also in my psychotherapy days um yes that, because you, you you were a psychotherapist yes. at one point so actually the other element of this book is you're in, in inside people's minds as it were yes i mean i think i've been very privileged to sit with people as they've gone through terrific emotional upheaval both men and women and i think that has given me 
a, a lot of help with, you know, making characters feel real. Um, lots of people, friends, and and uh, not, I don't think, in my family, but but lots of friends anyway, as they had to clear out their parents' homes, as the parents either went into care or died, found things in filing cabinets that absolutely devastated them. Uh, you know, I remember one person found out that her parents had never been married, which you might think, well, who cares nowadays? But it but it mattered to her because yeah. it just felt like a lie. So at the centre of this plot is a sort of thing, as your parents get older, you know, what do you find out? And in this particular case, all five of them are affected, either directly or indirectly, by a secret that is extricated from a filing cabinet and um, and it involves a sort of medical mystery and it, it does make people question who they really are, hence the title. Have you discovered a renewed love of writing fiction? Is this the future for you? I think it absolutely is the future as far as I can see into the future. I did enjoy my years writing self-help books and, and hoping that they would help people on various topics. In a sort of way, I don't see this as that dissimilar because what I try and do or what I'm, I'm keen to do in fiction is to help people to see that um, there are still possibilities, there's still inspiration to be had, there's still a, a chance to reevaluate things and, and take the kind route, if you like. Um, there's still opportunities to make great friends that whom you might sustain and who will sustain you. And it's really important to reach for what enhances rather than depletes you. So I suppose I've got a slight mission going on here that um, I want to explore themes, but from a fictional standpoint, but I still want people to experience joy in life and to see how valuable it is. And I gather there is a new group around called Books for Older Readers, and it's a sort of Authors, readers, action group. We yeah. feel that publishers don't realise how many people past 50 want to read <laughs> about people like them rather than, than, than younger people. Well, absolutely. And this is a great thing, actually. It's been started by a wonderful and dynamic woman called Claire Baldry, who's a former headmistress and um, schools inspector, too. And uh, she wanted to write fiction and never had the chance earlier you know, in her, her life. Too busy, I suppose, like ma many people. And um, I think what she's done is she's brought together a whole load of us who are uh, writing fiction or wanting to read fiction about the people we really are. Because I think, with the best will in the world, a lot of um, publishers and certainly a lot of editors are much younger than us. And uh, they're very hooked up on the sort of the 35-year-old um, in the midst of a, a terrible psychological drama. And, the, of course, there's lots of room for that. That is the genre of, of our time, actually. But lots of us feel that publishing doesn't serve us that well in as much as there are older characters in books, but they're never the main characters. And often they're a slight figure of fun. You know, the, the dotty aunt in the corner with her comfortable shoes and her elasticated waisted skirt, who can never find her glasses because they're always on her head at the time. Oh, you had to laugh, didn't you? Well, the thing is, we don't feel like that person, do we? We feel vibrant, vital, we're out there, we're doing stuff, we're starting new businesses, we're living life to the full. And I think we want to read about 
people as main characters. And that's why I write as I do. And I've suddenly discovered really through Claire uh, starting up this wonderful group. There are loads of us out there. And I'm hopeful that we might actually impress a few publishers into realising that, you know, there are a lot of people over 50 who read a lot of books, more perhaps in that age group than anything else. And they want to read things about them. Well, that was Christine Weber talking about her latest book and her love of writing. Well, now for something more serious. In this world of modern technology, with banking services available online, on apps and by phone, how easily do you think you could spot a potential financial scam? Junie Banks has been speaking to Katie Warabeck, who is the Managing Director of Economic Crime at UK Finance, and also psychologist Dr David Lewis. Junie began by asking Katie to set the scene on how scam-aware we are as a nation. We did some research that shows that 80% of people said that they think they could confidently identify a fraudulent approach. But then when we asked uh, over 63,000 people to complete a Take 5 Too Smart to be Scammed quiz, um, actually only one in 10 uh, were able to get all the questions right. So there's clearly a gap between our perception of what we think we know uh, and what we actually know. Uh, Which kind of scams exactly are most worrying to you? I think um, actually the ones which worry me most aren't necessarily related to technology. It's often um, we hear uh, a lot about fraudsters posing as either people from the bank or perhaps even worse, the police phoning up um, victims and pretending that they are from the bank or police and saying that their account's in, in jeopardy in some way and that they need to transfer their money from one account to another, uh, to a so-called safe account. And of course, um, it's, it's a bogus account. And um, I mean, one thing we really need to make clear at the outset is that the bank or the police would never ask you to make that kind of, of movement of funds. So however clever the story is, um, really, that's not uh, what we want you to do. So I think that's probably the, one of the worst that I've heard of because people can lose um, you know, vast sums of money on the back of that. Yeah, I was going to say, so how, how big a problem is it in the UK? So um, that type of fraud, um, the first half of 2017, which we started measuring for the first time, um, was over £100 million lost to that kind of what we call bank transfer fraud. It's oh, an incredible amount of money. Um, David, mm. um, what kind of effect does it have on us if we fall victim to a crime like that? I think it makes us immensely embarrassed. Uh, we feel we've been fools to be caught. Uh, and I think this is one of the problems because because we feel embarrassed, maybe a bit guilty, maybe a bit stupid. Uh, these are all kind of very negative emotions to deal with. And so we tend to keep it to ourselves. We keep the hurt and the pain to ourselves if we possibly can. And this means, of course, that a, a new scam, when a, a new scam is invented, it doesn't actually get the publicity it deserves. So people are not put on their guard. I, I mean, it can happen to anybody. I know that people tend to think, oh, it's as you get past a certain age, you're going to be more vulnerable, more gullible even and that's just not true it's just ageism it can affect people at any age at any level of education or background or whatever i think the message is if it seems too good to be true then it probably is too good to be true Uh, because bank security is now so good the fraudsters do tend to be moving in on the weakest link in the chain which is tends to be the individual and we tend to think i suppose as hackers as scammers as confidence people as perhaps being young people pimply teenagers in their bedrooms but they're not these are criminal gangs operating worldwide they have a huge amount of resource and knowledge and skill behind them they have expert programmers and they can very easily replicate a site which looks like your trusted site but it's not it's a scam
Katie, yeah. um, obviously a hugely complex issue and, you know, technology is moving very fast um, with lots of people doing online banking or banking on their uh, mobile phones these days as well. Um, apart from us as consumers being more savvy, are there any advances being made by the financial institutions to, to try and help kind of stamp this kind of fraud out? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's all sorts of um, each individual bank is working behind the scenes to bring in new types of security to counter new um, types of fraud as they as they emerge um, but of course the issue is it, with, with the type of fraud we've just been talking about where people are duped into making payments themselves it doesn't matter how good your security is behind the scenes if the fraudster is actually um, duping the customer into making the payment themselves which is why take five is all about just raising awareness of these types of things and saying don't be embarrassed take a moment to stop and think before you get pressured into making these types of transactions and it is really important if you you know if you do think you've fallen victim to actually report it and make sure that Abs- people know about it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you if you um, have uh, given away your information or indeed made a payment, heaven forbid, um, and you realise, um, contact your bank as soon as you can so that they can try and sort of stop the money. Um, and uh, if if they uh, advise it, then you should also contact Action Fraud, who collates information about the these types of crimes as well. Katie, what would be your final piece of advice for people listening to this? So I would say the key thing is if you get approached by any organisation out of the blue, whether it's by email, by text, by uh, by phone, um, and it's not something you've initiated, even if it's an organisation you recognise and they're asking you to give away information or to do something unusual like moving money from one account to another, just stop, take five think about it before you do anything and if you um, are uncertain then contact the organisation concerned um, on a phone number or via an email that you know rather than clicking on any link. Top advice there on keeping our money safe from fraudsters. Now, Aldo Zilli is a celebrity chef who's owned a number of successful restaurants, written cookbooks and appeared on our TV screens. Susie Sharp dropped in on him for a chat at his busy Soho restaurant and Aldo started by talking about his family and childhood. I am the youngest of nine, grew up in a farm, Um, food was a premium. I think that's probably why I became a chef actually, because I was hungry. And I was always hungry, so I, I decided that working with my mum in the kitchen to cook for all the family always fed me. So it was, a, it was a no-brainer for me to start cooking with her, which I did. My dad wanted me out of the kitchen, but I proved him wrong later on. So what were you like at school? Were you a well-behaved student? I was a lovely, beautiful, well-behaved soul because my mum brought me up like that. And I always helped her for the family. I was always thinking of the family. My first job was a fishmonger. I'll never forget that, that I used to get paid in fish to feed the family. Great stuff that is, isn't it? So when did you come over to this country then? I first came over to this country in 1979, where Italian food wasn't the same as it is now. Uh, I remember trying to get olive oil was a challenge. So yeah, I came over here and then uh, I decided to stay because I loved the British mentality. I love the fact that you don't talk to your neighbours like what Italians do. <laughs> and I love the fact that uh, it was, um, you loved Italian food. So I, I saw a lot of um, scope to stay here and uh, cook for English people. And that's what I did and that's what I still do nowadays. Aldo, what's the best thing about being older and wiser? Well, I'm older. I'm not sure about wiser. Um, 
you never get wiser. I still feel like I'm 30 years old. I try to do everything that I did then. I, but when I go to the gym, it, I feel the age come creeping up. Uh, but the best thing about being older is you start not giving too much to things like you, you used to. I don't want to say the words, but you know, you get a little bit more um, uh, relaxed about life, I should say. Now you've obviously met plenty of celebrities and huge, huge stars. Have you ever been starstruck? The only time I was starstruck is when I came out of my restaurant and Al Pacino was looking at my menu. And uh, I could not believe that he was standing there outside my restaurant looking at the menu. And then the other time is when they, I found David Bowie sitting on my steps in my restaurant waiting for someone. I'm like, what is going on in my life? You know, it's just crazy. Yeah, a couple of times, but not, not too often. What does the future hold? What have you got in store up ahead? If I told you what my future held, then I would be wrong because I don't know myself. Um, I don't make too many plans ahead. Uh, I obviously have to make plans for my children uh, in the sense of schools and uh, providing for them. And that's the only thing that I know I'm doing in the future. But I don't know, business-wise I never know because I'm always creating something new. TV-wise I never know because TV is so uh, unpredictable. Books. Uh, I know that I'm going to write another book and I know that it's going to be about families, but that's about it. Uh, everything else comes every day and it's so challenging and it's so exciting. That's fantastic. And finally, Aldo, what's your motto? My motto is to stay strong, safe and be yourself. It's very hard to be yourself. Becoming an actor is easy. Be yourself is very hard. Good advice there from Chef Aldo Zilli. Be yourself which is just as well because I can't really imagine being anyone else, and <laughs> nor can they. Now, our next guest is Samua Gray, who is the Director of Better Value Healthcare and an advisor to Public Health England. He's also written a series of books offering advice on ageing well. Martin Lewis has been talking to him and asked him what prompted him to write the books. I've worked on ageing for 45 years, and I found that people, including the medical profession, were confused about what is ageing, what is disease, what is loss of fitness, and how much do people's confusion and beliefs influence what they do. For example, that they say, oh, well, I'm 82, so I'm not going to, I better take it easy. Or, mum, you're 82, I'll send someone to deliver the groceries to you so you don't have to struggle down to the shops. So it's partly a wish to clarify the process. And I see four clear processes taking place, ageing, doesn't seem to me to cause many problems until your 90s, look at David Attenborough, for example. Secondly, loss of fitness, which for most people starts about 22, when they get their first sitting job and their first car, um, because that's the way the world is these days. I saw a chap digging the road in Oxford, but he was only moving two thumbs. He'll maybe get repetitive strain injury, I don't know. <laughs> so loss of fitness, so it affects... Uh, and that's not laziness. It's uh, It's... You know, I'd like to see how Bear Grylls was if he had to commute from Vauxhall to Barking and sit nine hours at a computer screen. You know, that's high risk. Mm -hmm. It's an environmental mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, disease. Um, some of it not preventable, so you need a bit of luck. Um, but when you get a disease, then it becomes even more important to take exercise. Whereas 
the, not so much the medical professions, but the family say, oh, take it easy, Dad. You of know, course, that's what people say. Oh, yes, I'll do it for you. I don't like to see you struggling. But young people pay a fortune to struggle. It's called training. Mm. So um, mm -hmm. I'm all for struggling uh, once we've sorted out what we can medically. Yeah. And then the, so aging, disease, loss of fitness, and then the wrong beliefs and attitudes. So it was, I tried to write to clarify what the hell's going on inside us. Well, it, it, it's a great series of books. Uh, distilling all the information from those books, from an aging well perspective, what are your key bits of advice? What's the, what's the mantra or the mantras that, mm -hmm. that, should, that should drive people, older people, as they, as they get older? Yeah. Well, I think the key principle is that every year you need to do more activity. I'll come back to what type of activity. Secondly, if you've got the diagnosis of a, some condition or other, you need to do more. If you get two diagnoses, you need to do more again. So every year and every diagnosis, you need to do more. And what if those conditions stop you being more active? Yes, they, they, uh, some diseases make activity more difficult. In that case, we've got to find things that people can do. And that's usually arthritis, for example, is uh, obviously limits what people can do. But it becomes even more important if you've got any sort of uh, disease like arthritis or Parkinson's that limits mobility to find clever ways of particularly stretching and becoming maintaining strength. So there's four aspects of fitness, all beginning with the letter S. The four are strength, stamina, suppleness and skill. So um, the, the various, we call it walking plus is the simple thing we're working on now. So try to walk 10 minutes briskly a day. Now, obviously, if you can't walk 10 minutes, walk five. If you can't walk five, walk two. If you can't walk two minutes, the key thing is to get up out of your chair um, 10 times every time the advertisements come on on television. Keep your thigh muscles strong. So that's stamina. And if you've got a house with stairs, use them. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it, yes. <laughs> then for the, the plus is 10 minutes. And I do 10 minutes every morning for strength, suppleness and skill. So I lie on the floor and put my elbows, uh, lie on my back, put my elbows down, stretch, uh, lace my legs, cross my legs 80 times, keep the core muscles strong. And I think all men should do the same number of press-ups as their age. They can do it in two batches. So I do, I'm 73, so I, I do two batches of 40. Because often when you're doing press-ups, you count one, two, three, seven, eleven. You know, you're, 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 um, <laughs> and no cheating. That no should be cheating, another mantra, no cheating. shouldn't it? And then yeah. suppleness. And so I, th I say to people, yeah, well, give your mama a Pilates lesson, or give your dad a Pilates lesson. So you've got to think about upper body. So strength, suppleness, and skill for ten minutes. So walk for ten briskly, at least ten, um, and then ten minutes of focused suppleness skill and strength exercises. So that's the very simple plan. And we're also, we're now planning to introduce that and through the NHS so that everyone who gets a pill for long-term medication will get uh, activity therapy. And it'd be very good to use this excellent program here to start uh, telling people about the fact that we're going to be prescribing activity as well as prescribing pills. A glimpse of the future from Sir Muir Gray. Watch out for prescriptions for exercise from your GP. 
Well, that's it for this episode of the Later Life Show. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to our guests. All these interviews can be found in full on the web pages, thewirelessradio.com. If you'd like to find out more about any of the topics from this podcast, you can access help and advice from Age UK by calling 0800 169 6565 or online at ageuk.org.uk. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.